Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Elon Musk, you may have heard, completed his purchase of Twitter after a protracted battle over, well, pretty much everything. But now the Tesla guy, the SpaceX guy, the solar guy has effective control over Twitter. The purchase at quite a high price comes amidst a collapse in the value of technology companies in the eyes of investors. Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta has lost three quarters of a trillion dollars in market value. A broad array of other tech companies are in the tank, too. So this hour, we're going to talk about the wild times at Twitter and the bearish times for tech workers. Is the whole social media era coming to an end? And if it does, what would that mean for the Bay Area and for broader society? That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Twitter. Beginning more than 15 years ago, the Bird app entrenched itself among first technical, then cultural, and political elite circles. Myself, I've sent tens of thousands of tweets and spent countless hours connecting with, getting mad at, linking to other people on the platform. Historian Twitter, plant Twitter, earthquake Twitter, I clearly still have a soft spot for these weird pro-am information spaces. Twitter has never had the scale of Facebook, the panache of Instagram, or the sheer virality of TikTok. But it was the go-between space, a layer sitting over the top of both the internet and the real world. And it is no exaggeration to say that it has changed companies and wars and the American political system. Maybe it was luck that Twitter ended up so central to the society. The company itself certainly never seemed to figure out what to do. But as I say, here we are. Elon Musk now owns the company And maybe there will be an exodus, or maybe there won't be. Maybe a lot will change. Maybe nothing will. But I think it's a good bet that this is a turning point in what we once called social media. Joining us to talk about this moment, we've got Annalie Newitz, a science journalist, author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, author of the novels The Future of Another Timeline, and Autonomous, as well as a friend of the show. Welcome back, Annalie. Hey, thanks for having me. We've also got Damon Barris, senior editor focused on technology at The Atlantic Magazine. Welcome, Damon. Hey, thank you for having me. So let me start here, y'all, with feelings. If tomorrow you woke up, somehow Twitter is just erased. It is just, you know, vanished into the ether. How are you feeling? You cannot post. You cannot read posts. Emily, are you relieved? Are you sad? 
You know, a little of both. I, I'm going to have a very un-Twitter nuanced reaction <laughs> and say, <laughs> you know, it, I would be a little sad. Um, I've been on Twitter like you for a long time, and I do have a lot of friends that I've made there. I love science Twitter. And I think at the same time, I would also be kind of relieved. Um, it's right now not looking good. I've already been experimenting a lot with other social media that I'm enjoying more. And mm -hmm. so I think I would just have to finish my migration over to Discord. Yeah. Damon, yeah. how about you? I think I would feel immense relief to be 100% honest with you. You know, <laughs> I have enjoyed Twitter for a long time. I certainly use Twitter to connect with other journalists, to, to share important information, to receive important information. But like, I am very over the hysteria. I'm very over, you know, checking my mentions and seeing just a torrent of abuse from people because I published an article about Elon Musk that maybe some folks disagree with. Uh, you know, I, I feel the, the weight of this platform mm -hmm. every day. And I, I am kind of hopelessly addicted to it in some way, but I I would not mourn the loss of this platform myself. And I understand people who feel differently, but man, I think I would feel immense relief, to be honest with you. You know, I've had two friends just nuke their accounts, and I they both described such tremendous relief for those of us who are really a tiny percentage of Twitter users, those who post a lot, you know? And mm -hmm. I think it is, I think that's one of the most difficult things about this is it makes us feel bad and we can't stop, you know? Um, and I think that's one reason why there's such uh, a, a, a furor around Elon Musk takeover. Um, Damon, I want to do a quick news catch up on it. Um, yeah. He kind of comes crashing through the door like the Kool-Aid man after this long, protracted negotiation or whatever it was. Um, what's, he, what's he doing uh, to start off? Oh, my God. Well, good luck with a quick recap because it's like it's been, <laughs> you know, a few like five days here and it feels like a million different things have happened. But in short, he has rolled up and essentially uh, stirred a bunch of chaos, both within twitter you know the company itself and on the platform um we have seen reports about mass layoffs on the horizon certainly he already sort of cleared the executive team out and um you know essentially he seems to be putting in place an entirely new structure within the company he's demanding that people ship products very quickly and work these insanely long work weeks. He seems to be talking a big game about quote unquote free speech on the platform. So there's this kind of, um, you know, this implication that content moderation is going to change on Twitter. Um, there has been a lot said about just the sort of, um, the the premium product twitter blue and different ways that the product might be monetized and there's been a huge dust up over the verification badge that a lot of uh public figures the blue check mark that is to say yeah. yeah the blue check mark yeah and and he has this notion that maybe that should be a paid product that anyone has access to so in short 
mean, I'm probably I'm probably leaving out a million different things. But in short, he has rolled up, caused a major disruption, sort of cleared the executive team, installed some of his buddies as, you know, new sort of oversight folks at Twitter. And it seems very likely that the platform will be transforming in some fundamental ways for users in the coming days and weeks. So, Annalie, maybe there's some room for some miners' devil's advocacy here. I mean, just in the sense that Twitter's current and former managers have also not been considered a wild success by uh, users and, and outsiders to the platform. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about Musk's takeover is we're we're getting a little bit of an insight into what is happening at Twitter that we normally wouldn't have, right? Because mm. we're seeing the chaos, and as the chaos throws up dust, we can kind of look at the the dust, I suppose. <laughs> inhale um, it and feel its effects it. on our yes. You know, and the thing that I've been really struck by is, you know, Musk came in um, and as Damon said, he immediately, you know, fired the board. He fired all the top executives. And people have talked a lot about how he fired Parag Agarwal, the CEO. But I think the most important firing here is actually uh, Vijaya Gad, who is the who was the chief of trust and safety. Mm. And I don't even think he had a conversation with her before she was kicked out, because the first thing that Musk does is he tells his engineers, we want you to make the blue check mark, you know, cost $20 a month for people who have it. Um, and because he fundamentally doesn't understand what the frickin' blue check mark is. It's something that's given to people who are journalists, celebrities, other people who are notable, so that you can tell the difference between their account and people who are spoofing their account or parodying their account. It's a the check mark is not some kind of um, mark of uh, high class status, or it's it's not like a luxury item. It's literally there to promote the uh, to to promote um, lack of fake news and lack of fake people, right? It's mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know why I'm putting it as lack of fake, but it's it's promoting authenticity. It's saying like the person that you're reading is actually the person that they say they are. And having people pay for that, I love Stephen King's response. He because he of course has a blue check mark and he was Just like remember we're on NPR. <laughs> I know I was I, I'm going to abbreviate. He said, F that they should pay me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Elon Musk comes up into his responses and says, like, well, what about $8? So he still just doesn't seem to understand how this social network operates and that you have to have protections and trust in order to have a social network and to have social media. You need to know that you're not talking to a bot or that you're not talking to, um, you know, fake Elon Musk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, is that does that mean that anyone with 20 bucks can buy like Elon Musk 01 at Twitter, <laughs> Elon Musk 02 or like, you know, I, I'm just very I'm stunned at how much there was going on actually at Twitter to protect people and how little Elon seems to understand about that. You know, Damon, we'll go, come to you on this. You know, I mean, having watched these social media platforms attempt to do things. Right. Usually they implement something, it kind of semi fails, and then we settle into some new norm. Is it possible that whatever anarchic or ham fisted thing that Elon's team ends up implementing 
turns out something that people on the platform turn into something good, right? Like, isn't this almost like the history of Twitter is like these kind of failed uh, attempts at building a different kind of product and then people take it and make it something that they end up becoming addicted to anyway? <laughs> I think it's a really good question. I mean, first of all, I, I think that it is certainly the case that no one can really accurately predict what's about to happen. Elon Musk is a chaotic person. Twitter is a chaotic platform. I also think that there's, you know, it, there, <laughs> it is kind of true that Twitter has never itself been the most fantastically run platform in the universe as it is. Like even kind of hearing Annalie, you describing with the verification, the blue check mark is there for, you're totally right. It is uh, precisely there to help protect public figures and protect identities, et cetera. At the same time, that's kind of a stupid system if it can so easily be <laughs> toppled by this this little product tweak, right? And it's also like, we've already seen cases where people, where verified people do actually, you know, play jokes and spoof like the FBI account, like they change their display name to FBI and update their, um, you know, uh, Twitter avatars to the FBI logo, et cetera, like it's it's not by any means a perfect system as it is. There are plenty of flaws. Abuse has run rampant on Twitter basically for as long as the platform has existed. So I do think that in a certain respect, it is fully possible that, you know, Elon Musk and the new leadership could blunder ahead and make all sorts of changes that end up shaking out to be positive potentially uh, i don't know that i would put money on it but sure it's possible let's not go on longbets.org on this one i think <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got a comment from ernst who writes in to say i feel like there should be a way for journalists to avoid boosting the signal of crazy things that elon or other rich people say he says wacky stuff all the time which only becomes newsworthy if he actually takes concrete steps to follow up on the wacky stuff this should be true of all uh, of all people who say stupid things in public and here's the thing. He did buy the platform. <laughs> so that is why we are here. We're talking about Elon Musk's overhaul of Twitter with Annalie Newitz, science journalist, author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, and also just an amazing thinker about technical issues. And Damon Barris, senior editor focused on technology at The Atlantic Magazine. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter and what it means for the platform, for the Bay Area, for society. We're joined by Damon Barris, senior editor focused on technology at The Atlantic, and Annalie Newitt, science journalist, 
author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, also author of the novels The Future of Another Timeline and Autonomous. Want to ask you all what you think about what's going on here. Are you going to leave Twitter? Elon Musk is here. Were you planning on leaving anyway? Are you going to leave your page up, your your body, but actually your soul is going to depart from the platform? You'll no longer invest in it. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. One listener tweets, I've been on Twitter every day because that's what I do. I've been watching it go through changes. First, it was a free-for-all. Some people are scrubbing their account and the pop-up is back if you try to say bad words. You know, this is a has always been kind of a confusing platform, Annalie. But you wrote a piece earlier this year, kind of in the as the, the Musk rumors and possibilities were were in the air. And you'd had this book, you know, Four Lost Cities, a secret history of the urban age. And you were like, is this like that? Is this a, a city on the verge of becoming abandoned? Can you walk us through that argument a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I was thinking about the ways that cities get abandoned, even when they're kind of at the center of everything. Um, And this has happened over and over in history. We have these fantastic cities like Angkor in today's Cambodia that had a million people. And then within 100 years, it was just kind of a ghost town. Why did that happen? Um, And what we see is this pattern again and again, where cities get abandoned when there's some kind of political instability combined with troubles with the environment, whether that's infrastructure or climate. And so if we use this as a way of thinking metaphorically about what's going on at Twitter, and we think about the infrastructure of Twitter, some of the stuff that Damon was touching on about how it's always had horrible problems with abuse, and it just isn't built to handle the levels of social conflict that it's created. Um, And then you add to that the political instability created by Elon Musk cruising in and firing everybody or threatening to fire people, making people do absurd tasks for no reason. Um, And then on top of it, there have been a number of reports showing that uh, people who have the highest follower counts on Twitter are leaving or they're not really posting anymore. There's, of course, the anecdotal accounts that I think all of us have experienced of people just saying, yeah, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm shutting down Twitter. Um, and in the wake of Elon Musk's takeover, uh, there are, again, a number of credible reports showing that uh, the amount of racist abuse on the platform has skyrocketed um, in terms of just you know people using foul names for each other and um, racist terms. Um, and so the, the environment is chaotic now. It's getting more chaotic. And so my question was, you know, is this the beginning of people just leaving? And I think that the city is a nice analogy for a social media network like Twitter because it is a place that we come to um, in order to just meet new people. Um, that's one of the main reasons people come to cities. I mean, mm-hmm. they come to get work and they come to have parties and, and meet people and hang out and see cool stuff. And, um, you know, without <clears throat> stability, um, that socializing isn't as appealing anymore. Mm-hmm. And people start peeling off and they don't want to stick around to watch the roads get potholes <laughs> and the bridges fall down. They're just they're going to move on to a place that's more hospitable. And I think we've got a great question on the phone from Kishore about possibly they got to have somewhere to go. Right. Uh, Kishore, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Alexis and uh, and guests. Uh, one of the things I use Twitter for, and a lot of my friends use it for, is a news aggregation site. And we, I follow a lot of journalists and journalists adjacent people. Uh, and I'm wondering if anything is could rise to kind of replace that, because I found it incredibly useful to find out news, especially niche news, on a number of things. And none of the other social media sites, I think, meet that uh, that demand. But I'm not sure if I see journalists leaving in in the same way that I see just regular users leaving. Mm-hmm. Such a great point. Also, I mean, I just got to say, some of our clout comes from that stuff. You know, it comes from the follower counts that makes people take journalists seriously who have large... It's, it's a, maybe a broken system, but it's definitely one that has social power. Um, Damon, let's ask you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's such an interesting question that probably speaks to a number of weird social dynamics more than anything. So you you asked about whether there is another social media platform that could rival the kind of news service that Twitter provides. Um, I'd say probably not. And I, I kind of think there doesn't really need to be. Like my social media platform of choice at this point is iMessage on my iPhone. <laughs> it has the people I care about. And I talk to you know, people I'm close with, friends, family, share links there. I don't really need Twitter to get my news in the sense that I can go to news publishers that I trust directly and get the news there. I've kind of, I've recently rehabituated myself to actually intentionally going to publishers that I trust and enjoy rather than just sort of passively receiving uh, how retrograde, news. Damon. <laughs> I know, I know. If you can imagine, if you can imagine that, um, still online, of course. But, you know, I think that there's something about the intentional act of seeking out information that is actually kind of powerful and that more people could adopt. I also do use, you know, for a specific app recommendation, I use something called Reader 5, which is, it's just a newsreader app. I put all mm-hmm. the sources I like in there. It's like a classic RSS thing. Um, and it turns out that a lot of these kind of older, quote unquote, technologies like RSS that have been around forever that used to work really well, that fell out of fashion because of the rise of platforms like Twitter. It turns out we all liked those for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the answer to... Uh, a social network like Twitter being on the way out potentially is to replace it with another social network because, of course, we've seen there's a lot of problems with social media, and I think it's okay for it not to be replaced with more social media. I think the thing that's really complicated about this, and Annalie, I'm coming to you on this one, is that the RSS reader, right, is sort of like a, it shows you a network of news created by publications. What Twitter does that's different is it gives you that, and then it gives you a network of people. Also, some of whom have news, some of whom have information. And you think about in a big news moment, like the beginning of the Ukraine-Russia war, and you would see these things that were just on Twitter, like about the trucks, the Russian trucks, tire maintenance. This is like the most amazing example. A truck maintenance guy starts looking at the photos of Russian trucks and saying, oh, they haven't been properly maintaining their vehicles. This logistical issue is going to be huge for them. In fact, it does turn out to be huge for them. And you felt like, oh, I read that on Twitter and I knew that like six weeks before there was some story, you know, uh, in the Wall Street Journal or something about about this kind of thing. So is to me, that seems like what the heart of like Kishore's question is like, is there something that could do both? 
Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I've also been thinking about that a lot because as I said at the top, I love science Twitter. I also really love medieval Twitter. I, these are like, <laughs> you know, these are very niche, you know. Plant Twitter, big plant Twitter. Plant Twitter, I love bird Twitter. Oh, you know, I've learned so much from just hanging out in those groups. Um, and I think one of the the things that we haven't talked about yet is the importance of Black Twitter, which mm -hmm. was a very early standout social aspect of Twitter. And it has the exact uh, characteristics that you're describing, where it's a large group of people talking about issues. And instead of it just being a situation which had been typical in the mainstream media, where you had maybe one or two Black people who would be on you know, news panels with all white people, um, you suddenly had, you know, millions of black people talking to each other and talking without having a white person there mediating it or without having anyone else butting in. Um, and it was just this incredible social movement. It actually created a number of uh, big stars like Mickey Kendall, um, who has a bestseller out now. And I think that it's really hard to replicate something like that, like a big community of people who are focused either on a social or political issue or a geeky issue, like how to grow plants in San Francisco, which is like a whole thing. Um, <laughs> and I, I have to say, I think I am, I have to agree with Damon a, a little bit because part of what I've been doing is much more actively going out and seeking news sources, either using my RSS reader, I use Feedly, um, and it's a thing. Um, and also joining different discords. Um, I've gotten mm -hmm. really into discord. Discord provides, um, I mean, it has its drawbacks, but it definitely provides those, that small community feeling where you can join a bunch of plant nerds or science nerds and have conversations. But instead of it being millions of people and possibly going viral and having like Nazis scream at you, um, you just have the hundred nerds, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I would not be surprised to see list serves coming back, like email lists, not just newsletters where one person is yelling at you, but like where you have a hundred people just chit chatting with each other online. Oh my on, God, Annalie, let's email. do it. Let's do it. List serves. <laughs> serves are back. I, I actually, that is a genuinely very, very good idea. I think, um, uh, let's see. We've got a bunch of comments, calls. Let's get to a couple comments here. Uh, Amy writes in to say, I don't use Twitter, so I appreciate learning all the innuendo I'm hearing in this conversation. Sounds like it's self-imploding. Musk certainly seems to enjoy the attention effect of his chaotic management. Amy's on point here. Uh, I've been wondering if there is a mass exodus of Twitter employees. I certainly wouldn't want anything to do with it under Musk. And if the employees want out... Are there numerous other opportunities in the Bay Area? I keep wondering what their options are. I'll just add parenthetically that clearly the tech industry is in the midst of layoffs outside of Twitter already. So it's kind of a tough moment for this all to be happening. Damon, what are you hearing uh, in re reporting happening at the Atlantic? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question, exactly for the reason you just said, which is that this is not just a Twitter problem exactly. There are a lot of... Um, companies, big tech companies doing layoffs, or at least not hiring, doing hiring freezes. Um, sources I have spoken with inside of Twitter are very clearly dissatisfied with Musk stepping into this position and the ways in which he has been running Twitter so far. That said, they also aren't resigning, right? Like, I think that there is this notion of, well, this is 
you know, working in technology is what I want to do. Um, Twitter is obviously a really important platform and there may not be great opportunities at the moment for a large number of people in the industry. So I've been interested to kind of hear how people are navigating this dissatisfaction uh, while also kind of trying to just find stability where they can and, and maintain the status quo in their work there. But it's very challenging. And I don't necessarily know what this all leads to because it's not, you know, five years ago, if you were, um, you know, if you had a desirable job at Twitter, you could probably walk out the door and get a job at Facebook or Snap or, uh, you know, GitHub, whatever. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case right now. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you know, we said it in the top, but the collapse in technology company valuations is really complicated because at the same time that people are thinking about leaving their jobs, their shares are also worth like a fraction of what they were worth before. Some people have used them to purchase things or like buy real estate in San Francisco. This it's a for for the employees of this company, and we'll probably do future shows on this. This is actually extremely, extremely complicated. Um, let's uh, do another call out here. We are talking with Elon. Uh, we're talking with Annalie Newitz and Damon Barris about Elon Musk's uh, overhaul of Twitter and what it might mean for the Bay Area, the platform, society. We'd love to hear from you. Are you a current or former Twitter employee? What do you think of Elon Musk takeover? And if you're a user of Twitter, are you going to leave? What's your relationship to the platform now? And what would make you get up and go? For example, if Donald Trump came back on the platform. Uh, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, I wanted to come back to this question of content moderation. Um, we developed over time, you know, this kind of extremely complicated, extremely legalistic framework. That content moderation framework was kind of built by Facebook and Twitter. It was kind of this ad hoc, kind of a creative uh, thing. Annalie, do you think there's a possibility that Elon Musk just introduces like an entirely different paradigm of content moderation? No. I think that... <laughs> like, we have think, to do it the way that it's done, you think? You think the way that that evolved, it evolved that way for oh, a reason? I, first of all, I, I don't think that it has evolved. I think it's evolving. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's any answers that have been provided about how content moderation can be done well socially and legally and ethically and internationally <laughs> and all of the, the things. Um, I, I was specifically answering the question about whether Elon Musk is going to do it. Mm. I think what he's doing is using the idea of content moderation, kind of like almost the way a politician would use some idea mm. in a in a stump speech, you know, like, I'm going to change content moderation. Everyone's <laughs> going to love it. Um, he doesn't, as I said before, about his ignorance about what the verification uh, properties are of the blue checkmark, he doesn't know squat about moderation. This guy thinks that Twitter should just be unmoderated, um, which isn't even a thing. There was a great article uh, by Nile Patel in The Verge uh, last week where he was pointing out that Twitter's product is content moderation. That's, that's what it does. The reason we like Twitter, if we do like Twitter, is because it provides us with news and information that's been shaped 
by algorithms, by people. And we wouldn't want to read just a dump of what everybody said. We want it to be to, sh to be shaped and trimmed and, and prettied up for us. So I think he's experimenting with the idea of content moderation as a kind of political issue, but I don't, mm. I don't see him making that change. And I just, I think laying off half your staff is a very, very bad first step toward making a better product, right? That's not how you make a better product. Oh, yeah. Damon, let's uh, bounce you too, because we think of content moderation in usually in this American context, in this kind of conversation, but there's a whole set of extremely complicated international issues that go along with content moderation too, which don't fall neatly into maybe some of the boxes that we're thinking of. Like, what does he do on that score, especially given that, you know, he's got production across the world? Oh, yeah. So also an extremely good question. We actually at The Atlantic published a great piece by the scholar Evelyn Dweck uh, yesterday that actually speaks to this exact question. I mean, in short, the outlook for regulation is so, so different than it was even just a couple years ago. There are all sorts of policies, first of all, being debated in the United States Supreme Court right now that are relevant for content moderation. But also there's, you know, the, the Digital Services Act in the EU. And Twitter has also had to do a whole dance around its policies in India and, um, you know, in response to pressure from Modi's government and um, the different sort of ways that the government wants to control, quote unquote, free speech or open expression there. Um, I think that the reality is content moderation is extremely complicated. And, you know, that that's obvious to an extent, but not only is it complicated, it is complicated for different reasons that are completely subject to an individual country's government regulations, policies, and Elon Musk might have a certain frame of mind about how content moderation should look in the United States. There's also this whole other, you know, question <laughs> yeah. that is being presented by, you know, look at China, for example, and, and Tesla and its business in China. And that is going to be very complicated for him to have to navigate as well. I mean, there is a whole tangled web here that I, I think that he is going to run into very, very quickly. We're talking about Elon Musk takeover of Twitter with Damon Barris of The Atlantic and journalist and author Annalie Newitz. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter, what it all means for social media, society, etc. We're joined by Annalie Newitz, science journalist and author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age, also the author of the novels, The Future of Another Timeline, and Autonomous, and a new one coming out too, right, Annalie? Um, I think it's Terraformed? The Terraformers. It's- it's called The Terraformers, yes. The Terraformers. There we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're also joined by Damon Barris, senior editor, uh, folks on technology at The Atlantic Magazine. We're going to take a lot more calls in this segment and um, talk to people about how they're feeling. Um, Hakel in Cupertino, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Go ahead. What's your uh, thought or question? Um, I just wanted to share a little bit of my um, insight and, and my, my view on the whole takeover um, from Twitter. Um, I have 13 years of uh, working with a, a high-profile tech company here in Silicon Valley. I've worked for the uh, two major uh, tech companies in, in the area, um, and I think it, it has uh, caused a, a huge commotion with um, within tech companies, even tech companies that don't uh, are associated with uh, social media. Um, but I think in a way, uh, Elon Musk taking over will give um, the opportunity for uh, free speech to come back in a more controlled way. He's mm-hmm. not going to allow people to just run with whatever they want to say. Uh, he said that he's putting together a team that it's going to have different views, different opinions, different values, and that that team is going to be- get together to evaluate and discuss why they should ban an account before they actually ban an account. So uh, it will give people uh, the feeling of uh, that they can express themselves, but in a way, they, people are still going to have to think about what they're saying and be uh, and follow uh, the guidelines of the platform because he's not removing guidelines. He's not just opening to everything and anything. Um, so I think, in, in a way, it will bring a little bit of, uh, mm-hmm. of that uh, comfort back to to the users where they they're not going to be so afraid to mm. speak but at the same time they will know they will have to respect the platform and mm. and the users Hakel, i appreciate your optimism and you uh sharing your perspective i'm gonna stack a few calls and then annalee and damon then we'll talk about them all uh all in a row thank you so much Hakel. let's bring in uh matthew in mill valley yeah hi you know what, what? I was I was ready to pack up and leave Twitter uh, when Elon purchased the thing. But what I've come to see is it, just the absolute chaos and his lack of understanding of a product. He just probably paid overpaid by three x and had no idea what he was going to do. Of course, he was forced to buy the to buy the company because he really didn't want to. He knew he made a mistake and got himself into a corner. And this is where we are. But it's stunning to see that he has absolutely no idea what what to do with this product that he just paid forty four billion dollars for. It's it's crazy. It's the most craziest thing I've ever seen in business, and and it's it's it's, a, it's just a train wreck. And I and I'm I can't. It's really. I can't take your eyes off of it. But anyway, yep. that's my question. I mean, that's one of the things okay. that he is extremely good. You can't take your eyes off what he's doing. Thank you uh, for that, Matthew. And uh, last one in the stack, Don in uh, San Jose. Welcome. Thanks. Um, I use uh, Twitter professionally. I'm on the science side and geology Twitter. Check it out. It's cool. But it's really complicated. <laughs> Shout out geology Twitter. <laughs> right. It's complicated because um, I don't, 
I don't like what Elon Musk does generally, and I don't really want to contribute to his financial success, whatever that looks like. Um, so, but Geology Twitter is a very a solid community, and it's a way we, you know, engage with um, citizens. We have all sorts of different things going on, and so until there's like a an obvious social media network or an obvious platform, whatever that looks like, to move to, and I know others in the community are looking at it, um, I think I'll stay there um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so that's the largest reason I use Twitter and, and the fact that a, a controversial person whose opinions that I don't contribute, you know, I don't agree with is, it's complicated. Yeah. So thanks for taking my call. No, I appreciate I mean That ambivalence is actually probably the correct attitude. I don't know. But um, there's there's also something you pointed to, uh, Don, about this like kind of wonderful pro-amateur partnerships that develop in you know, these different Twitter spaces, these different specific geologies where you've got, you know, dedicated amateurs who are just like really into rocks. And then you've got professional geologists and they get to interact and they have this whole kind of fluid partnership. And I, I think that is one of the beautiful things that kind of mostly just develops on on Twitter. Um, Damon, let's come to you. So we kind of got three different perspectives. We got sort of like, a, hey, maybe Elon will do good things for free speech on the platform from Raquel in Cupertino. We got Matthew in Mill Valley, who's sort of like, this is just nuts and maybe I should leave. Um, and and then we got Don, who's like, oh, but I have this kind of like beloved community that, that only exists here. And to me, this feels like, uh, I, I wish I could say I'd done this intentionally, but to me, this feels like actually a beautiful spread of kind of the ambivalences and um, feelings that people have about this platform right now. Yeah, you know, I think ambivalence is actually a really good word. I can joke around about a relief I might feel if Twitter just goes away forever. But the fact of the matter is, of course, I enjoy it to some extent. And what these three comments point to, I think, is that on any platform that has the scale that Twitter has, that operates in the way that Twitter does, and I think maybe an equivalent, uh, not exactly, but you know, Facebook is roughly equivalent, or maybe even Instagram in some way, um, there's always a push and a pull, right? So the content moderation question in free speech is really interesting, because um, to me, it's really a question of loud speech, who is able to be amplified and who feels comfortable expressing themselves most loudly on the platform. And maybe a rebalancing is going to make a certain uh, amount of people happy on Twitter, but there's always a tension, right? If things are rebalanced, certain people are also going to be upset. And the question about the geology community on Twitter, like that's a real thing. It's actually really nice that there is this kind of interaction between geologists and the public that can happen on Twitter But the backdrop to that has always been for as long as Twitter has existed that on some different side of the platform, there's, you know, Nazis harassing people and there are, um, you know, marginalized communities being abused on the platform. That has always been the the Mm -hmm. backdrop of even the most positive interactions on Twitter, whether people see it or not. And This is a moment where I think we need to reckon with all of that. And a lot of these issues are becoming perhaps more obvious to more people. Mm -hmm. And whether the platform can actually sustain all of that, like whether users are actually going to be happy to remain on Twitter when all of the threads are showing feels like the big question to me right now in this moment of transition. Annalie, um, 
you're speculative fiction writer, in addition to mm-hmm. being someone who knows these things really well. Uh, friend, uh, you know Robin Sloan as well, novelist here in town, written about technology, actually worked at Twitter deep in the past. I think he wrote this beautiful thing a few months ago that was probably the best thing I ever read on Twitter. I'm just going to read you one little piece, and then I'm going to have you do some speculating. It says, uh, there are so many ways people might relate to one another online, so many ways exchange and conviviality might be organized. Look at these screens, this wash of pixels, the liquid potential. What a colossal bummer that Twitter eked out a local maximum, that its networked effect still consumes the fuel for other possibilities or other explorations. So here's kind of the question is... What? How else could we relate to each other? Like, what does Twitter point to us, point out about us? What is it like serving the purpose it's serving? And what else can you imagine that just might be different or better aside from listserv, which I still think is a great idea? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is obviously the thing that we're all trying to figure out because Twitter was a big experiment. I mean, I think we could argue that social media itself has been a big experiment, especially its international scope, which Damon touched on a little bit when he was saying, like, listen, when you're dealing with all these different countries and different regulations, that really makes content moderation much more complicated than simply, are you allowed to speak? Um, it's not It's not just about, can you speak your opinion? Um, It's really how does the technology, how do the algorithms that Twitter uses shape the way other people see what you're saying and Mm -hmm. what are they allowed to do in response? Um, Our free speech laws in this country were designed for people talking in public squares and publishing newspapers. They weren't designed for people to be talking and then suddenly a giant crowd of Nazis comes up and starts screaming at them. Like, that's just not something that we could conceive of Mm -hmm. um, happening at scale. Certainly we could conceive of, like, a brawl in a public square. In fact, I think our founding fathers were involved in a few. Um, I don't know. All of my history is from Hamilton. Um, So, (laughs) But I think um, what we've learned is that um, public – what we've learned is that creating a public square – involves a lot more than just enabling anyone who wants to get on the internet to scream. Um, that that's, that's not really what it means to have um, free conversation and free discourse or debate. Um, so what I imagine going forward is trying to correct for those problems, trying to correct for the crowd of angry X problems, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank. It's Nazis, it's like people who hate geology, <laughs> whatever, right? Um, and, uh, you know, how do we prevent that from happening while also allowing marginalized people to speak? And, you know, this is traditionally what our free speech laws have been intended to do is to protect the speech of people who are who other people are trying to silence, more powerful people who are trying to silence them. And I have to feel like, you know, when when the internet was first enabling speech, Douglas Rushkoff wrote this book about uh, viral media, and uh, he called it the media virus. And he kind of coined the phrase virality to talk about what happens when you know many years later when people would tweet and then millions of people would see it out of context and scream. Um, I think we need to imagine a future where we have public spaces without virality. Mm -hmm. So that sounds really complicated in a way. I think the listserv is an interesting way to think about that um, because it's really, really hard unless you create a chain email (laughs) to have virality on email. Um, And we need to think about 
what do we want out of a public space and what do we want out of a semi-public space? Yeah. You know, like a Discord channel being more of a semi-public space. Mm -hmm. And then a true public space, what does that look like? It, maybe it's it's something radically different. And I think we're we're struggling toward that. I tell you, I'll tell you one thing, it is not TikTok. TikTok is great, no shade on TikTok, but that is not it's a public a social square. space that's only virality. <laughs> exactly. Know? So yeah, yeah, think of of something that's somewhere in between, you know, TikTok and a list serve. Um, <laughs> you know. There's some space think, to play, I think you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> there's space to play around. I think we're gonna see a lot of new apps emerging. We're gonna see a lot of goofy fake apps emerging that are, you know, pretending to be the alternative to Twitter. Um and so that's my speculation. I think that we will see a mass exodus from Twitter and people trying a lot of new things, and we're going to have a lot of churn over the next couple of years. Um, big question here from Matt in Berkeley. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Um, I'm a social science researcher who actually spent some time working at Twitter. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I haven't heard people really talk about is Twitter is used by so many social scientists as the platform to understand social phenomena on the internet through its API. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, it's a revenue generator for Twitter. So perhaps Musk would lean into that. Um, but I'm just curious what your, uh, what the people on the show think about the future and potential of Twitter being a platform to do research, learn about yeah. yeah, how people are interacting on the internet. Matt, what a great question. I mean, yeah, so many of the things that we think we know about um, social life online, we know because of Twitter's API and the ability to just work with massive amounts of tweets and watch the way that things spread and networks form. Damon, do we know anything about this yet? Or like, do you have a sense of, you know, my worry would be just that it wouldn't seem important enough to Elon Musk. And so that kind of team degrades over time. Yeah, it's a fascinating question. And, uh, you know, I candidly have not heard anything about this specifically. I guess the thing that I wonder about, though, is it's this level of research about how people behave online. It is interesting, but I guess what we're really learning about is how people behave on Twitter specifically. And yes. what is going to be relevant there moving forward is kind of the interesting question to me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how to think about that exactly. It's a really interesting wrinkle, and I can't exactly imagine Elon prioritizing that specifically, mm -hmm. but um, interesting, yeah. I'm On the other sure. hand, it's sort of like nerdy. I don't know. It's interesting. Let's, um, let's try and squeeze in one more call here. Uh, Elaine in Castro Valley, welcome. Hi, um, I started using Twitter because that's where our law enforcement and emergency services post information. Mm -hmm. Are there other ways to get the latest updates from like CHP, Cal Fire, Alameda County Sheriff and so on? That's such an interesting question, Elaine. Thank you for that. I just want to stack on, on top of that. Um, Alex uh, tweets in to say, I receive so much of my news from Twitter as I follow several news organizations. I also rely on it for fire Twitter, living in a high-risk area in Napa. Elon is erratic, and I do not like that it may become even more of a cesspool of hate and misinformation. I'll likely limit my time on it. You know, this just... Um this goes to the way that Twitter maps onto our real world, uh, Annalie, and the way that it's actually become kind of essential in certain ways as part of a, the infrastructure for fast-moving information. 
what I mean, I guess people can sign up for alerts, but then you've got an agency that then has to maintain that system like this gets complex. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I also uh, monitor fires and earthquakes on Twitter. Anytime there's an earthquake in San Francisco, I'm immediately like, did you feel that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and indeed, like, you know, it's a great place to verify. Um you know, when during fire season, I always have Cal Fire open on the web on my desktop um, to get alerts. So I think it's going to mean having to go out and proactively find the emergency services because all of them do have feeds. It's not that they only use Twitter for that. They have their own updates on their websites. They also some of them actually have purpose built apps. Um, so, yeah, you're going to have to be using the web <laughs> to find out about <laughs> fire and earthquakes. Cal Fire has a great uh, site with a live map that gets updated really regularly. Um, and they do have alerts on their website. So yeah, um, yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be back to the old use the interweb. <laughs> um, Damon, final question, you know, uh, I was listening to an old friend, Kevin Roos, on his New York Times podcast, Hard Fork, about you know, him basically saying like, the the social media that we have known and that we have sort of constructed over time is in fact dying, being replaced by various other things, you know, TikTok, which is, you know, other other stuff. Do you buy that just in our last like 30 seconds? Or do you think like, you know, the death of social media has been greatly exaggerated? Like, are you on that side of the spectrum? Uh, I do buy it. I think that we are in a moment of major change. I think it remains to be seen whether it's something like what Annalie is describing, where people kind of stop having this passive consu- you know, consumption behavior and go out onto the web and search things out, whether that becomes ascendant again, or whether the social media we have known for so long gets really replaced by something like TikTok. And we kind of continue uh, this kind of this kind of behavior just in a different setting. Um, I don't know exactly how that shakes out. But I do think that we are at a major transition point with Twitter and meta on the downturn. And um, it'll be really interesting to see what comes next and how people change their behavior online as a result. This has been great. We have been talking about Elon Musk takeover of Twitter with all of you, as well as with Damon Bear, senior editor focused on technology at The Atlantic. Thanks so much for coming on, Damon. Thank you so much for having me. And we've also been joined by Annalie Newitt, science journalist and author of Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. If you just search Lost City, Twitter, Annalie Newitt, she has a great essay uh, that you can read about all these issues. Uh, Annalie, thanks so much for coming back on. Yeah, thanks as always for having me. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.